Pray with me. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we get this morning to, to worship in song, Lord, but also to worship in your word, Lord. We just pray that, that as we break up in your word this morning, Lord, that it prick our hearts, Lord. It, it brings us to a place of repentance, but also a place of change. But as we, as we listen to it, Lord, I just pray that it brings us to a place of movement, Lord. That we leave this place today knowing that we have to go out and bring the gospel. Go out and bring this word that we cherish, Lord, to so many that are lost, Lord. We just pray all that in your name. Amen. So as we come to a time in our service that we get to break open God's word, I just want to encourage you to, to look at this because the title of the message this morning is We Can Benefit from the Word of God. We Can Benefit from the Word of God. And we will be in, we'll be in James chapter 1 this morning. And as you turn there, James chapter 1 and verses 19 through 27. As you turn there, if you don't mind, please stand with me, those that are physically able, as we break open and read the Word of God. Know this, my dear brothers, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In verse 22 it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, at once forgets, forgets what, he is li- what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You may be seated. So this morning, I want to, um, I really had another passage that we were going to look at this morning, but the Lord laid this on my heart as we did have the election this week, and as we did, as we did have the opportunity of so many other things that were going on um, over the last few weeks, I just thought this was a timely to, for the Lord to put this on my heart. This was an area that I was studying in already because I continually, I read all throughout the Bible, but I pretty much stay in James I read something in James every week because um, it's one of those books that sort of hits me between the eyes. It's so straightforward. It's so um, poignant. It's so, um, for me, it's something that I need. The way that the writer is, is writing this is so straightforward um, and understandable. But I do want to point out a couple of things about James. James, James here is writing to dispersed Jewish Christians. He's writing to Christians that were scattered abroad. They're, they're more than likely in... in um, Palestinian or uh, Palestine on the outskirts of town there in in house churches is 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 where is where it looks like they're at so they're scattered in all these areas in in house churches but but also Paul or James is writing for a couple of different purposes here and to he's writing number one to correct a corrupted faith that was rapidly seeping into the church he was 
he was writing to, to uh, a group that was, that was um, a corrupt faith that was seeping into the church. It was more about hearing and the knowledge of God's Word than it was about going out and doing it. But there were so many that were hearing it and then was not living that lifestyle at all, were claiming a Christian faith, but the way of their life, as soon as they left that church, was living something completely different. But number two there, it was to present the true faith of Christ. A faith, that, a faith that produces outward fruit. A person is known to be a Christian by his works, by his behavior. That's how, that's how we as Christians can look on another person to decide whether he has true faith or not. You know, we can speculate, we can question, but the only way that we can, that we can place judgment there for another Christian, that we can decide whether another Christian is saved, is by his works. There's no other way of doing that. Only that person's heart and Jesus Christ is the only way that knows 100% for sure. But by our standard, by our look here, is the only way we can look upon that is by their works. But we all, we all recognize, though, just like this morning, I looked in the mirror, and some of you might say, well, you might need to look a little closer. But I looked in the mirror this morning as I was getting ready to come to church just to make sure, um, well, normally I would look to make sure my hair is not all messed up, but obviously this week I don't have to look, check my hair. Um, but, but normally I'll look to make sure, you know, I've got to check and make sure beard's all trimmed and all that kind of stuff, didn't miss a spot. But, but I, I think we can look at that as God's Word is that, mirror that we need to be looking at every day is that moral mirror into our life that speaks truth and no matter what that truth is no matter how hard it hurts it's still going to speak truth and I think for so many that's why so many don't read it because they automatically they already know what the truth already says about us But this that moral mirror that we look at, look into. David Jeremiah, David Jeremiah stated in his book, Turning Toward Integrity, 82% of the Americans believe that the Bible is either literal or the inspired Word of God. More than half stated they read their Bible at least monthly, yet half couldn't name even one of the four Gospels, and fewer than half knew who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. The problem in our world today is not that the Bible is irrelevant, it's just not read. You know, I was counting, uh, I was messing with Keith this week as, as we were in my office, I was bringing a bunch of my study materials and, and books and stuff from home, and I was started counting all the Bibles that I have. And it's, some of you don't have as many Bibles that I have. Um, I, see, I see a different translation, or I see a cool looking cover, or I see a different study um, Bible, and I pick it up. So I, I was counting, and I have somewhere between 18 to 27 different Bibles in my office right now. And that's not including what I have at home, and my wife didn't know the number on that, so anytime I want to go buy another Bible now, she's going to say something. So, um, but, but the mindset there is I can't physically, I can study those, I can pull them out as I'm doing sermons and reading. I do read a lot of translations when I'm doing this, but I can't physically study all of those and, and during, those, during different days, I'm looking out and saying, you know, I went through this whole day without reading God's Word. And I have all the Bibles. I have a ton of Bibles. But I've went, I went through, some days I went through a whole day without reading God's Word. And I think, I think we get in that mindset of we have so much going on in our life and so many things going on that we forget the one who matters the most. We have so much 
things going on, grandkids going here and kids going here and life issues going on, but we forget the thing that matters the most. It has the moral mirror that points out where, where our failures are, that moral mirror that points out when we're walking the right path, that mirror that points out the hardest things in our life to understand. But it is the truth. So this morning, the problem in our world today is not that the Bible is irrelevant. It's just not read. It's not understood. And it's not applied to our daily living. The Bible is a very practical book. A lot of, a lot of us look at the Bible as something, man, I can't I can understand that. I can't understand this version or I can't understand what, what I'm reading. Um, I think for me, whenever I did that in my life, um, not can't speak for everyone else, is whenever I was reading the Bible and couldn't understand it, it was I was reading it just to do it. I was reading it just to get through it. I had a habit in my life of just saying, well, I want to get through this today. So I thumb through and pick out something and I read really fast through it and don't spend the time to look into it. Don't spend the time to pray about that scripture. Don't spend the time to study it because God's word calls us to study his word. He calls us to gaze into. He calls us to look more um, into. So I just want to encourage us as we're looking at that. But I have, um, I have a few things this morning that I want to examine. I want us to look at to examine the steps that lead to receiving the benefits the Bible has to offer. So step number one is we must be receptive to God's word. We must be receptive to God's Word. In verses 19 through 21, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It says, in 21, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. You see, in, in verse 21 there, it says, James tells us to receive with meekness or humbly accept the word planted in you. The word translated receive literally means to welcome, to welcome in. This word is used for how we receive others into our homes. Just how we receive others in a home, that hospitality that we have as we bring others in. In other words, we must cultivate a heart and a life that welcomes the Word. And what kind of life is that? We need, we, we need to cultivate a life that welcomes the Word into our life. Not something we just do on Sundays. Not something that we do um, one day a week for this hour. It's something that we do all day long, seven days a week. It's a life characterized by an attitude of humility, of openness, of receptivity. And such a life must be prepared to receive the word just as soul is prepared to receive the seed. After all, James tells us that the word is implanted in us. It's got to be a life that is prepared to receive the word. So if we're going out and living a life that is completely set aside away from what we claim to be on Sundays, how receptive are we to the word? not very receptive. So we have to repair our hearts and our minds all week long, every day, for God's Word. So to adequately prepare our hearts, James gives us four guidelines here we need to model. These behaviors will enable us to accept the Word and receive the full benefit we should. We, first off here, we must have a capacity to listen. We have to have a capacity to listen. You know, we must be quick to hear the Word of truth. 
Swift, to, swift or quick to hear refers to an alert ear. We have to be open. We have to be open to His Word. You know, how, this, week, this week as we have seen, um, seen the election results and seen everything, um, I, I went and voted two weeks ago. I wasn't for sure if we were going to be back in time, so whenever it opened up, I went and voted. But over the course of that period, I've had so many family and so many friends that have posted things on social media, crazy, crazy stuff. And what, is my, what, what do I want to respond to that? I, I want to respond because I feel like they're targeting, targeting my side of things, you know, because I've already picked this side over here, just like most of us all have. Um, but at the end of the day, what matters? None of that really matters, does it? I know some of us still are trying to picture and saying why it doesn't matter. Because I know at the end of the day who's still on the throne, and, and I know the one that really matters. But see, this other group that we want to argue with and fight with, they're lost. They're lost. All they're hung up on is their sin, and this person represented their sin. This person represented the sin in their life that they want to, still wanted to control. And they feel like by, this, by, by, the one that, by Trump winning, was they're going to lose that opportunity to continue doing that sin. Freely. Freely. But see, we don't look at it that way. It's, it's we have to put ourselves in the other people's shoes. And we want, to, we want to fight. We want to respond. But what happens when we respond in a no-win situation? There's no win in that at all. Because our, our goal and purpose in this life is to point people to Christ. By us responding to that, what happens? We sometimes push them away because they label us already as Christians. Now, there is a right way to respond in those instances, but this week was not one of those for me because after this happened and, and, the, and the targets and different things that, that I have received through um, social media, even from family, is not the right time to respond to some of those. And I think for some of us, it's probably the same case. It's not the right time to respond to some of those. So we have to have a capacity to listen. So right now, is we need to listen to the hurts we need to listen to um, and try to understand where they're coming from. But we must be quick to hear the word of truth more than anything else because God has a word to say into this and He loves everyone. He didn't come here just for the Christians. He come here for every one of us and He loves every one of us and He wants us to leave these churches every Sunday, every Wednesday that we get to and leave out of this place to point people to Him. I know what our mindset is, is we got to get all these lost people into the church. And we want to do that. That is, that is awesome. Me and Brother Richard has talked a lot about this. Uh, we want to get as many people here to hear the gospel as possible. But the main focus for this congregation is to equip you to go out and reach the lost. And then to bring them back here to be discipled. That is the purpose for what we're here for. That's the purpose of the church. We must have a capacity to listen. But secondly here, we have to have a controlled tongue. We have to be slow to speak. One of the things that keeps us from hearing is that we need to be slow to speak. So often, I don't know if many of you know that I like to talk. Um, so, so anytime I'm counseling, I have to be um, mindful that, hey, I need to listen. Listen. Um, and I know Gabby probably can point out that I never listen to all her stories. 
Um, I'm so distracted by everything else, but I do that on purpose. But, but I need to, we need to be slow to speak because when we're slow to speak, we can listen. We can listen to what's going on. We can listen to when the Lord is trying to talk to us and say, hey, hold up. This is more about me than it is about you. I have something to say here, but you keep talking. James is not talking about just physically hearing the words as they impact our ears, but listening for what God has to say. Quick to hear describes an attentive heart listening to what God has to say. This is often true when it comes to what God is trying to communicate to us. So we can, you can physically hear His Word and yet not really hear it. That's, that's just like reading our Bible, just like I said, reading our Bible just to, just to do it, just to say we did it. We can physically read it, but we never heard anything. We were either reading it too fast just to get done, or our heart was never there in the first place. Thirdly, we, ha- we need to have a calm demeanor. The second thing we need to do is cultivate a calm spirit. We need to be a slow to anger. James not only tells us that we need to be slow to anger, but that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Did you know that being upset, upset with what you hear could block all capacity you possess to hear it? You know, so as, as I was reading these jabs this week at, at family and different things toward, I, I knew they were toward me because it just was. And um, I wanted to, I was already formulating my opinion. I was already formulating my response. So I couldn't really hear through what they were saying because I was, I was too busy formulating what I wanted to respond with. We, in order for us to hear what God is telling us, we have to be slow to speak and we have to have a calm demeanor because my, my temperature was rising as I was reading what I was hearing because it was a jab at me. It was a jab at us. But as, as of what James is saying here, but as, as we read in the first half, in the first section, as it starts in verse 2 here, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So as, as I'm going through this and studying in, in, in this, all this stuff is coming up and understanding that James has already told us how to make it through these jabs at our Christian life. is count it all joy. Count it all joy. We're going to face trials and we're going to face temptations in our life. And this is one of those trials in our life is how do we respond in a nation that wants to, wants, to, wants to live in sin? How do we respond to that as Christians? Well, for one, we can't, we can't just read it and not do anything. We have to live the Christian life outside the walls of the church. But I think we need to love people. I think we need to get involved more in our local communities. I think we need to get involved more with our kids and our grandkids. I, I think that's number one. We can look at we can look at these generations and say, man, this, this generation is crazy. They're lost. Yeah, they're your kids. They're 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 our kids. We we've had opportunities to to minister to them through the church. But in my previous church I had families that wanted their kids to be more of the world and not just in it. 
and they wanted them not to be of the church, but they just wanted them to show up at church on Sundays. We had them for 45 minutes, and all the other activities that went along in the week, that's, that's part of it. You know, we want them to be socially uh, accepted, and so where, where is the equipping part of life? And the kids were saying that it's equipping for Christ was not at home because that hour, they give me an hour a week to try to equip them to live a Christian life, but parents didn't live that the rest of the week. So we have a generation that's seeing that, but we also have a generation that everything that they got, they've received a trophy for. So they've never seen any, any loss. They've never understand, understood how to lose well. You know, so I, I've heard that often. I heard it, we talked about it this morning. Well, we lost the election. Um, I didn't win the election result for you four, four, eight years ago, whenever they elected. The person I voted for didn't get in there. I understand how to lose. We have some generations of kids that have never lost anything. And for once in their life, they had the opportunity to vote. And they were so strongly about the person they were voting for and so strongly about the things that they stood for that they lost. And we just want to tell them to grow up and get over it. And that we didn't win the last couple of times, but they've never understood how to lose because they've always been given everything. A calm demeanor. But we also need to have a clean life. James tells us to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness or get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is prevalent. What we are to lay down is sin. What we are to lay down is sin. For us to be able to, to, read, to read the God's Word and be receptive of God's Word, and for us to receive it, we have to get rid of the sin in our life. But also, for us to be able to speak into the life of these people that we're talking about, and these people that we're trying to understand why all these riots are happening, and all this craziness. And this is not just happening in other areas. This is happening close to home. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak um, devotion for the football team at Hamburg on this past Friday. And their, their schools were locked down for two days. CrossFit was out of school on Friday, which they were traveling. Um, but they let them out because of threats. Threats for riots, threats for, I know Hamburg had police officers all in the school system uh, at the school on Friday morning checking people. On Thursday, they checked every backpack that went through the school for guns because of threats, because of all this stuff. This is not just in some other areas. This is, this is at home. This is here. Sin is prevalent all around us. And for us to be able to receive the Word of God, we have to be away from the sin. So we need to seek our lives and see what we have in them that is sinful. And for us to look at it and see that, well, this sin really don't matter. It affects you being able to understand and read the Word of God and be receptive of the Word of God because you're holding on to something that Satan can get a stronghold in your life on. It's important. Secondly, we must be submissive to God's Word. In verses 22 through 25, it says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once 
forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, the first step is to be receptive to God's Word, and the second step is to be submissive to God's Word. So I want to give you three ways to be submissive to God's Word this morning. It requires examination. Number one, it requires examination. We have to examine whether we are receptive, submissive to God's Word. In verse 25, James speaks of one looking into the perfect law of liberty. We need to notice that he is not simply talking about someone who merely looks at God's Word. He's not talking about someone who just picks it up and opens it up and, oh man, I turned to the perfect thing this week that I'm dealing with. He's not talking about that there. It's, it's talking about we are to examine God's Word. We are to carefully investigate the Word intently. We need to research it. You know, the connotation of the word translated as look is to stoop down and gaze into. It's to study. When we read something, I, I didn't understand how to study God's Word until I saw someone else doing it. So our kids are never going to understand how to read and study God's Word unless they see us doing it. And for a lot of you guys, y'all have done that with your kids, and you see it coming through with your grandkids, and you see, um, you see your kids that are raising up godly men and women that are going to be awesome to be able to fight, bring this gospel to a dying and lost world. But there's still also an opportunity for so many of us that can teach our kids and our grandkids how to study God's Word. And sometimes it's not, it's not about how we hit them over the head with that. It's opportunities like Christmas and Thanksgiving. It's opportunities like where the whole family is coming in. Create creative ideas to study God's Word whenever the whole family's there. Let them see you doing it. Bring out different things that are working in your life right now. Because there's a lot of scriptures that you read that, man, that's doesn't make any sense to me. But based in context of what it was meaning back in that day, it means a whole lot to us today if we can just understand what he's saying. So we have to gaze into, we have to look into, we have to look more closely into what he's saying. But it also requires a reflection. James tells us that we not only look intently at the Word, but we also review and reflect on this Word. In verse 25 we read, But he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. James says the man who looks intently into the law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. We are to continue to look into the Word. We are to remember what we have heard and read. You know, this is, this is so important. This is so important. If we're, if we're looking into God's Word on a regular basis, and we come into trials, and we come into things, um, those things are going to, God is going to bring forth that Word. God's Word does never bring forth negativity. God's Word does not bring uh, void. So whenever we're constantly reading in God's Word, when we come in those hard times, what comes up? His Word, the truth. God reveals those things in the times of need. But if we're never in that, and we're always in sin, 
What comes up in those times of hardship is negativity. It's those things that we never want to hear. Satan doesn't want us to come into God's Word. Satan doesn't want us to have a positive, more influential life and bringing people to Him. Satan wants us to bring more people down. Satan wants us to be more negative. Satan wants us to respond without thinking. It requires reflection. David wrote in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word can be our protection. It can be our defense against evil. But we can, we can only use the word if we know the word. We can only use the word if we know the word. I've been so guilty of this. Um, it, is, it takes discipline and it takes time to memorize God's word. It takes discipline and it takes time. But I believe that God's word calls us to memorize his word. He calls us to know it. That way, in those times of need, it's going to automatically flow out of us. How many of us are spending time in, in God's Word to the point where we're not just flipping pages and reading through it, but we're actively memorizing His Word? To the point, and, and it doesn't have to be, well, I'm going to memorize this Scripture. But based on this Scripture that I've studied this week, I could almost quote it to you based on how hard and in-depth I've studied it this week. And that ought to be what we think about. We ought to study it so hard that it's, it's not just sitting down where I've got to memorize the Scripture. No, I've studied it so hard that I've memorized it because I've been studying it so hard. I've read it so many times that I've just, it's there. It requires reflection. But it also requires a response. One way that we can apply the Word is respond to it. James just tells us in verse 20, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We have to do what it tells us to do. It's not, something, it's not something to read. How different are we than the Pharisees that knew a lot about God's Word and were very religious people, but never lived the Word, never lived the truth. Many Christians stop at merely hearing and receiving the Word. They hear the word, receive it, but don't take the essential steps to do what the word commands. There are many people who think that they can receive the blessing of God without being obedient to God's word. We want to receive the benefits of God's word. We want to receive the blessing of God's word, but we, we don't want to do what it takes to follow through in obedience to God's word. Following through in obedience to God's word is not showing up here on Sundays. It's so much more than that. It requires a response. When we look into the mirror, you see the brutal truth. Now, sometimes I don't want to acknowledge that truth. The Word of God will serve as a mirror to show you the truth about yourself. We don't want to acknowledge the truth so many times. But it's not going to lie to us. It's going to be brutally honest what our life looks like. Thirdly, you must be moved by God's Word. We must be receptive to God's Word, number one. Number two, we must be submissive to God's Word. But number three, we must be moved by God's Word. In verses 26 and 27, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, there is unfortunately a great disparity between what Christians say they believe and the way they behave. A.W. Tozer put it this way, there's an evil which is in effect on the Christian religion. Maybe more destructive than communism, Romanism, and liberalism combined. It is a glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So why does this gulf between theory and the practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between the two of them? An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard this Sunday morning message and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. Two distinct contrary religions. So you come to church on Sundays to be equipped to go out and live the Christian life, to go out and point people to Christ. But as soon as we get to the restaurant and somebody pours a whole glass of tea in your lap, you're a different person. So I, I, that, that was brought true to me a couple of weeks ago. We were at the Chinese restaurant, and um, I learned that I don't need to drink but one glass. After that, don't ask nobody to bring you a refill. She tripped over her feet because I looked down to see what she tripped over. I didn't trip her. My son didn't trip her. And a whole large glass of tea all me on Sunday afternoon, right after, right after I was left here to be equipped. When my response didn't come out, but my thoughts were there, you know? There were the, and, and, and I've always been told, it's probably not true, that if you think it, you might as well say it, but that is definitely not true. Don't do that, because you get in a whole lot more trouble. I've learned that being married 12 years, so you get in a whole lot more trouble. But, but th that's, that, is, that is to say that we leave this place and those temptations are there. Satan, Satan is not built a wall around this place and he can't enter. He's here. He's here looking for people that he can devour and destroy. And based on our responses and based on how we live our life and based on how others are watching our responses, because my son watches my responses, he tells my wife that daddy's mean. He, he does tell her, tell her that. He says daddy's mean. And that breaks my heart more than anything because I love that little guy and I want him to look to me for guidance and direction. But what happens when people look at us as mean people? They don't want no part of us. They don't want no part of this church. They don't want no part of the Christianity. They look upon us as an opportunity to, they recognize that we're Christians. They recognize that we go to this church. They recognize that we go to church. But if we're looked upon as mean people, what does that say about our Christian life? It says that we're know God's Word, but we're not doing what God's Word calls us to do. The final step in this process that James gives us today is that we must allow ourselves to be moved to act on the Word. He is talking here of putting the Word into to practical use. You see, you must not only respond to the Word by acknowledging the need to do it, but you must find practical ways to actually do it. So I've got three ways here that we need to, that we need to do it. 
We need to guard your tongue. We need to guard our tongues. We need to guard our tongues. And if you can think about that, if we could, if we can master guarding our tongue, do you know how beneficial we would be in our Christian walk? If we could just guard our tongue, if we could hold it and not let the things that we think shoot out mouth shoot out our mouth before we are able to stop them. We know people like that. They don't. They just throw it out there. Well, if I think it, I'm just going to say it, and and they don't think about how damaging. That is. James tells us that our religion is worthless unless our tongue is kept on a tight rein. He has already told us that we are to be slow to speak. What he is saying here is somewhat different. He is saying, here he's saying that we need to control our speech. James knows that we can learn to, if we can learn to control our tongue, we can harness most of our behavior as well. We can learn to harness our tongue because what happens there, if we harness our tongue, we're, being, we're, we're mastering the slow to speak. We're mastering listening. So we have time to listen to what God is telling us if we've been receptive to His Word. We're listening more and not outwardly vocal. Number two here, it says um, we, we, have, we need to give to others. He says that practical religion is to look after orphans and widows in their trouble. In other words, living out the Word in a practical way will mean that we care about others. This has been one of the things that Christians have done well over the years. There's been so many hospitals, so many orphanages, so many things that we have done an awesome and amazing job. We have, I don't know how many boxes, but in the office there's a ton of Operation Christmas Child boxes that are in there. We have done an awesome job at that. We're backpack distributions coming up. Our church is doing an awesome job in our community with that, and if you are not being a part of that, we encourage you to be a part of that. That's coming up. Um, but we have so many things that we're pouring into our community, and we're a part of loving our community, loving one another. But James is calling us to reach out, calling us to give to others. That doesn't necessarily have to also be um, just about us organizing things through the church. As we go about our daily lives, we see people in need. We see opportunities. And unfortunately, the only way for us to speak into anybody's life in today's culture is to give them something. We have to meet a physical need to be able to meet a spiritual need so often. And I have a bad attitude so often with that. But I also have to remind myself that they might not know the Word. They don't know what God's Word. They don't, they don't live by this standard. And for them to ever live by this standard, I'm going to have to show a love that only God can show through me. Because I don't have it. So I have to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Because the only way that I can point them to Christ is with His power working through me. And three here, it says, guard your life. Guard your life. He tells us as a... He tells us that a mark of true spirituality is to keep oneself unspotted or to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, keep your life clean. Guard it. How are we guarding our life if we're not reading His Word? How are we equipping our children if we tell our kids to live a moral life and tell them how to live and tell them what to do and tell them all this stuff and they don't see the standard that we live by? You know, I'm never going to tell my kid, well, you're not drinking when it's okay for me to drink. He's not ever going to see that in me. Never. 
I'm never going to tell my son, well, you don't need to use those kind of words whenever daddy uses those kind of words. If I say it, it should be okay for my son at four years old to say it. Should be. We need to guard our life because what, he, what, what our kids see us doing, that's what they're going to do. And unfortunately, I have lived that. I've seen my parents that were not Christians, that were not living that life, doing that. And I wanted to go through those same steps. But by the grace of God, I got a hold of my heart at a younger age. My brother that is a year younger than me didn't have that. He didn't have that at all. And unfortunately, my words have got the best, with, best of me with my brother. Because I've shown not a very Christian example to my brother by my words, by my compassion to him. You see, the only way that we can minister to our families, um, the only way that we can share the gospel so often with our families that know us best is by the power of the gospel. Because we want to do so many things, and we want to do it in our power, and we don't have that kind of power to reach those kind of family members. Only God can. And through the Word of Christ is the only way that we know how to reach them. And if we don't know the Word, there's nothing we can say, and there's nothing, uh, we can't be good enough to reach them. There's nothing in us that can do that except the power of Christ. So as we close this morning, James has given us three clear things here how to benefit from God's Word. We must be receptive. We must be submissive, but we also have to be moved. You can't do one and two and be a true follower of Christ without three. He calls us to action every time. We have to do something with God's Word. It's not necessarily about putting the knowledge up here. We have to put our feet to work. We're called to something. So I want to encourage you to think about the things this morning. And for me... There's so many things that this message has done in my life over the last couple of weeks. And, and every time I think about something in my life that it has something to do with, I think, well, man, being quick, slow to speak, slow to anger, uh, quick to listen, that, that there's so many applications for that. There's so many applications in our life for that. But the main part of that is we have, there's a benefit in God's Word. So as we close this morning, I want to pray for us as we go into a time of invitation, and as Larry comes this morning after we pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity we get to study your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray for this congregation. I pray for myself and my family, Lord, that I not be a Pharisee, Lord, that I not be just someone full of knowledge, just soaking it up, Lord. Lord, that I look to be receptive to Your Word, Lord. Submissive, obedient to Your Word, Lord. But more than any of that, Lord, I look to be moved by Your Word. To do Your Word. To look for opportunities on a daily basis. Every one of us have opportunities to minister to someone else every day. Lord, I just pray that we leave this place today on mission for You, Lord. pray all this in Your name. Amen. Brother Richard's going to come and Larry's going to sing. And if, if um, this spoke to you by any, by any means, these altars are open. This time is the Lord's. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to God's Word this morning.
hymn number 300. announcements before we dismiss today uh, like I say right after service we're going to be taking up the love offering for King's Camp so get some guys up here up front to, to take up that offering as we close appreciate that um, also immediately following the service we've got the gumbo fundraiser down the hill so come one come all and and have your fill of gumbo man I was down there earlier and it smells so good <laughs> So you got to come and enjoy the gumbo and uh, help the youth. They're, they're getting ready to go to uh, the summer retreat, uh, winter retreat in Gatlinburg. So come help them get there. Uh, also, November 16th, that's Wednesday night. The women are doing dressing worth blessing. So come and be a part of that. That'll be uh, Wednesday night at 5.30 down in the Family Life Center. So if you want to learn how to make dressing, come down. And I think if you want to eat some good dressing, too, I think they're going to have some sampling going on, too. So uh, come down as part of that. 
Then uh, Saturday, the 19th, this coming Saturday, we need carpenters and painters and workers of all kinds to come down to the Family Life Center at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to start working on that float. So we're going to have a float in the Christmas parade this year. So carpenters, painters, workers of all kinds, come down and help us get that float together Saturday at 1 o'clock. And then next Sunday will be our annual church-wide Thanksgiving meal. So uh, do come. We're going to have that. That's going to be Sunday night. That our Sunday night service uh, will be our, our Thanksgiving meal. We'll start that at 6 p.m. down in the Family Life Center. If you are planning on coming, if you would call into the office this week and let.